Our Three Cents is part of the Greenlit Podcast Network. For more information, please go to greenlitpodcasts.com. Hello and welcome to another episode of Our Three Cents, a podcast celebrating the very finest video games. My name is Jonathan Dunn and I'm joined by my childhood friend Christopher Dow. We forgot the cheese! And my adulthood friend Clement Minty Booth. In case you hadn't noticed, I'm weird. I'm a weirdo. I don't fit in and I don't want to fit in. <laughs> Me. And we are discussing our all-time top 100 favourite video games. Of all time. Announcement! Announcement! Before we dive into the episode, we'd just like to do the usual shout-out for our other social media channels that we're currently occupying. If you go to YouTube and search for Our Three Cents, you can find all manner of amazing videos that we've been producing that are going on there. We have a collection of mini-series that Chris has produced all about the history of gaming. We also have some streaming content on there, and we've got more coming all the time. If you want to check out us streaming live, then we also have a Twitch channel, twitch.tv slash O3C podcast. Please do subscribe to that and you can follow us and keep us company whilst we game upon the line. We also have an Instagram channel at O3C podcast. We've got loads of images on there about what we're playing at the moment, some little cheeky behind the scenes nuggets. And we also have our video content on there as well. So do check that out, subscribe, follow it. And if you're really enjoying what we're doing, we also have a Patreon page, patreon.com slash our three cents. If you head over to there, you can see a whole range of amazing perks that we have on offer in exchange for a few pennies of pledgery, such as full bonus exclusive episodes, including our latest one, all about architecture in video games, which is a corker. There's deleted scenes and outtakes. <laughs> There's even the opportunity for, for, for custom artwork that we're making with our own six hands. Check it out. So, this week we have our 20th favourite video games of all time. We're into the top 20. Unbelievable. It's top of the pops. <laughs> but before we dive into that and what we've been playing this week, we're returning to the quiz where Chris has started to forge a bit of a lead again. It's not out of reach, though. Never unfair. Mm. So let's see what happens. I hope it's not a question about Sega. What does Jib, G-I-B mean in gamer speak uh, it's when something blows up and it sprays its giblets that is absolutely correct yeah i was, I was gonna say about disemboweling but minty was far quicker and more erudite to, to answer that one just two points in it now 41 points to 39 Whew. so what have we been playing this last week are we all stuck into super mario 3d all-stars <gasps> oh no, but, one sec. <laughs> Are you going to do a ceremonial unwrapping? I think he is. Bit of fun backstory, I'm sure. Here we go. <laughs> I pre-ordered this game, and I sat at home, waiting for it to arrive on Friday. I was refreshing my, my email constantly, the Royal Mail tracking page. At 13.08, I got the, the notification that said, Hurrah, we've delivered your parcel. I go downstairs into the into the communal uh, mail area. Not a sausage. <laughs> <laughs> and of course, I did what anybody would uh, would do in such a situation. I huffed rather loudly so that one of the neighbours would hear it, and if they'd <laughs> stolen it, they would know that I was onto them. Ah, yeah. Uh, it didn't work though, so oh. I ended up dejectedly cycling to work. Um, looking in the work pigeonhole, and I've had it delivered there instead. Oh, foolish. <laughs> so, yeah. You and your unjust huffery. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But what it does mean, though, is 
as a, I, I don't know if this will be a deleted scene, but a little bit of <laughs> little bit of asthma for you. I'm going to actually <laughs> right now. I'm going to unwrap it from its uh, little sort of cellophane casket. Cellophane casket. Here we go. There you go. Plug your ears in, guys. All right. I haven't got any nails. Hang on. There we go. <laughs> there it is. Oh, hello. And there it's we go. Free. Oh, it's free. Wonderful. And Wonderful. Just going to unclip it. Oh, there it goes. I'll clip it back in now as well because I'm not going not to put it in just yet. Have you played anything else this week, Minty? I have, yes. I've been playing Xenoblade Chronicles Definitive Edition. Yay! Yeah. Um, what a wonderful, beautiful game that is. Really, really great. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm having having a really nice time with it. I have, I haven't beaten it or its iterations in the past. I think I got. I can't remember where I got to in the last in the 3DS one, but mm. I do know that I'm just about to fight Zord. Oh yeah. I remember that one being a bit of a bit of a tough fight. So yeah, we'll see. But yeah, it's really great. Like it's it. it I can't remember enough about the 3DS version to be like, oh, they've, they've really done well with sort of tightening this up or making this a little bit easier. I don't understand expert mode, mm. so I haven't really bothered with it. That'll it's, be it's to a... your, uh, your traditional minty RPG second playthrough where you 100% it. Yeah, yeah. I, I think I'm doing well with um, all the side quests and that. There's a lot of yeah. them there. I mean, the good thing about it is is very few of them are like fetch quests where you need to do something and then return they, you know, that somebody sends you off with an objective, you do the objective, and you get the experience. And that's it. It's, it's right immediately completed Brilliant. as soon as you get yeah. your second, I don't know, spinning mouse or whatever. Yeah, exactly. Like, <laughs> it's great. Yeah. It's really great. And and the nice thing is, like, the ones, the, 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 the quests where you do have to go back to somebody, like, is always a reason why. And, and that's really nice as well, or it'll lead to, like, another bit or something. Yeah, it's, it's not just, oh, thank you for killing these six moose. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, like, and great, that was, that's that it. was worth travelling literally thousands of miles <laughs> <laughs> down the Bionis' bloody testicles or whatever. <laughs> down, down in the Bionic gooch. <laughs> oh, my, oh, my. That's the um, the pumpkin swamp, I believe it's called. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> oh no. Before we move on to talking about Super Mario 3D All-Stars, I did manage to finish New Super Luigi U before it came out, which was great. I really, really enjoyed playing through it. Like I basically got to grips with the controls once I realised that it's basically like playing as Mario if you if all the stages are ice levels. <laughs> and uh, yeah, that's it. Yeah. 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 And once I realised that, I was like, uh, <laughs> yeah. And and I sort of lent into it and uh but yeah, they're still really, fun. Really good fun. It is. It's yeah. Yeah, re- yeah, really good. It didn't quite see me up to the release of 3D All-Stars, though. So I did actually start playing a new indie game called Mo Astray, which has uh, recently come to the Switch after being on Steam for a couple of years, I think. And I think it's best described as a cross between The End is Nigh, Inside, and Celeste. Ooh. It's essentially it's, a, it's just a brilliant 2D puzzle platform game. It's uh, it, it's It's quite hard. But it's very, very good to control. It's got Never lots unfair. of really good. It's it's certainly not unfair, and uh, yeah, I'm really enjoying that. And and something that I didn't really expect from it, there's incredible boss fights on it. <laughs> like it, the, the boss fights remind me a bit of um, Dead Cells, actually. So it's it's great. So I'm looking forward to that, satisfying my 2D platforming whims whilst I 
suckle at the 3D teat of Super Mario 3D All-Stars, <laughs> which I've been having a great time playing. I, I started with Mario 64, as I intended, and I think my, my initial reaction was, was a bit, I was getting a bit frustrated with it. And I think that's partly because I knew Super Mario Sunshine was there and I wasn't playing it. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. And also because, you know, some of the things like the the... the, the Essentially, I don't know how to describe it, like the fixed pivot of the camera. So you, you don't yeah. have free control over the camera. You can just sort of rotate it a bit and sort of got more specific functionality. And then it collides with invisible walls and stuff like that. <laughs> so, I, so I thought, I, I initially I thought, you know what? I just can't be bothered with this. I'm just going to play Mario Sunshine. And I played a bit of Mario Sunshine and my goodness, it plays well. Like it, I was really surprised. I was, I was worried that it was going to be a bit clunky, but it feels just, I mean, as good as it did. I only did a couple of levels in it, and then um, the following day I thought, I'll give I'll give Mario sixty four just just another go, another go in the in the you know in the honesty of a Christian morning, and <laughs> I was having a much better time with it. I really really enjoyed it, and uh, yeah, and and so I'm I'm uh, I'm I'm set on uh, on completing Mario sixty four. Good. And yeah, I am really enjoying it. I am. Good. I I am aware of some of the things missing that the DS version put in and i don't know if this was actually in the ds thing but i have a feeling it was so when you fall off the edge of a stage in this you lose a life and you're thrown out of the stage and you have to start again and i think in the ds version if you fell off you took like two bits of damage of energy and you reappeared on the surface where you where you fell off from i don't remember I haven't played 64 ds since the launch of the ds because in mario 64 like playing it now i I've been aware thinking, I don't remember it being that harsh. Yeah. And I think it must have had something like that or like a checkpoint thing or or something. And I wonder if if actually that like, re- like immediate respawning thing is actually what was the mechanic that was introduced to make TikTok clock a lot fairer. Yeah, yeah. Which, which, which is not an area I've got to yet. I've done about, I've got all the stars on three of the worlds and I've got about three or four of the secret castle stars. I'm just going into the... Um, the underwater realm where there is the absolutely dreadful eel that Minty uh, <laughs> hates it. Minty, Minty, yeah, yeah. His major thoughts thoroughly know. And to be fair, like the more angular design of it and the, the polygons that make it up, as opposed to the more rounded edges in the DS version, it does look like a demon coming straight out of the devil's arms. <laughs> it's, um, it's not pleasant. It's not pleasant. How have you been getting on with it, Chris? I, I wanted to play Sunshine. If, if you remember when we talked about it a couple of weeks ago, yes. I was fully intending to just start with Sunshine. And then on, on Friday, when I got the email saying it's been dispatched and it's, it's out for delivery, it was in the middle of a day where I was, I was so busy at work. I thought, I, I don't think I've got the capacity in my head to, to start something I don't know. So I, yeah. I came home, I put on 64 instead as like the warm hug of a game that I know really well. Yeah. And, and it's been really, really nice. Like I, I've loved it. Like the... The music and the aesthetic of the whole thing and, and the feel of the whole thing, it's, it's been really nice to go back to and return to for the first time properly in, in a long, long time. Like, like I mentioned, like I, I played the, the DS1 when that came out on the DS, so we're talking many years ago. And aside from that, I've done like the first world or so of Mario 64 on an N64 here and there, just as, you know, just occasionally I, I dip into it for, for an hour. But this is the first time I've actually given it proper time again. And it's been really nice to to remind myself of of where this game takes you. Yeah. It's 
amazing to see as well for obviously a lot of people playing this potentially for the first time if they're a little bit younger than us or, or never had an N64 and it's great to see it officially re-released so you know we have a proper copy of it now for people to play in in a you know on a modern platform and it's amazing how well Nintendo's vision of like 3D platforming still holds up for, for that time that you know it, it's got its weird things like with, with the camera not being kind of like as comfortable as we're used to now but still so much of how that game plays was was codified then and and we now take for granted in basically all design of, of 3D worlds and spaces so it's it's been great I've, I've really really loved it but <laughs> yeah, I thought that was coming. <laughs> there's a few things I want to whinge about. I and, sensed your enormous butt. <laughs> and this is, I, I think some of it will come across as if I, I feel very entitled about these things, but you have, you have to kind of like bear with me in context of, of why I feel this way. I feel Nintendo could and really should have done a little bit more with this port. And now I'm not saying that I wanted it to be like super remastered and reworked like we've seen in, in Tony Hawk's recently or Crash Bandicoot or Spyro. I, it doesn't need that. Like I'm, I'm perfectly happy for it to look exactly as it did on the N64 basically. But the things that could have been added would have taken such minimal effort and manpower on Nintendo's part that there's certain bits, it's just really disappointing not to see. Mm. I, I'm sure part of this as well is because I've seen like I mentioned about a month or so ago, when I got my laptop, I, I played the PC fan port for a few hours um, that basically came as a result of them reverse engineering the entire code base of the original game. So I've seen it running at you know a better resolution and, and in full 16.9 widescreen. But what's frustrating is, is the version on this All-Stars cartridge is still running under emulation. Like it's been pulled apart yeah. by the community already. It's, it's just an emulator running the N64 ROM with a few tweaks. And because of that, like hacks have existed for Mario 64 being emulated to run in widescreen for about 20 years now. <laughs> Things like the draw distance, like when you're running about, coins will just pop into view in the distance and enemies. Yes. Yeah, that's something I've noticed. Yeah. It's such a simple fix for, for you know, having the extra hardware grunt of the Switch that it's stuff like that that I feel is is just kind of doing the game a disservice because they're, they're such small changes that wouldn't change the, the feel and the look of the game at all, but would make it just slightly nicer to play in 2020. Yeah. There's another weird one as well that I don't know how much you've seen, because I know you play these games like mainly handheld. Back on the N64, when you were far away from the camera, Mario turned into a much lower polygon model. Okay. And you never would have noticed that because the resolution of the console was so low that at the time he was like five pixels tall. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But if, if you look closely now, it's really, really obvious that suddenly Mario turns into like a jagged ball. That's interesting. And it's something that, again, is like one code line in, in the original source yeah. code can be tweaked and that's gone and it would just use the, the full poly model. So it's, it's things like that that kind of, it hasn't affected my experience of it really in terms of how much I've enjoyed playing Mario 64 again. But it, it's just things that make you think kids in their bedroom took this game apart and, and have yeah. made a, a better modernised version that doesn't sacrifice any of the original vision. Yeah. And, and I feel like that's, that's what Nintendo should have done to say this is a collection which is really celebrating our, our heritage of this character in 3D and how important these games are. And it just seems weird that, you know, we've talked about the Aladdin and Lion King you know, collection recently, that there's more care in that to re-release those ROMs and, and bring them up to speed and have the director's cut and the and the other console versions and everything than in Nintendo's flagship release for, for this quarter. Yes. It's just, it's a little bit frustrating. Like, everything I've seen online says that Sunshine and Galaxy look and feel great. They've had that 
you know, five minutes of extra work to just make sure they, they look decent on the screen. Although, have you seen this in Sunshine? Apparently, in some of the levels that where you have, like, flood removed from you, you can see the debug cubes in the game, <laughs> which are, like, like, sort of indicating where the path of, like, the, the platforms are and stuff. And apparently that's something that you see when you emulate the game. It has been seen when you've emulated yeah. the game before, and they haven't. I haven't addressed that. Oh, Nintendo. Yeah. It's, and I'm not going to jump on, you know, I'm not going to jump on the bandwagon of saying, you know, no, this is an insult. No. I can't believe it. Because I, I don't, I, you know, but that that is something. I haven't got to that bit. And I'm hoping it's patched before I yeah, get to it. Because yeah. I think that will actually, because those are my, I've, you know, I said when I talked about Sunshine, favorite those bits. are my favourite bits. Yeah, it doesn't look good. <laughs> I know this game's had like a limited sort of development time. I think people have pegged it back to only really being like February, March time was when the project started. So I, I realise it's kind of, it's, it's a probably had a much smaller budget. It's probably had a much smaller team to, to put this package together. But if, if you think in comparison, like what All Stars was on the SNES and how that modernised all those NES games to, to work as well as they possibly could on the 16-bit on the machine, we could have had a little bit more care. And, and like I say, it's just when, when the Mario 64 source code was, was put out into the world, it was like within hours these changes had been made by people doing it just for free and and for the love of Mario sixty four and and yeah yeah I'd I'd hope that you know that the father of of this series Nintendo as as you know the the paternal figure looking over their little red boy or she <laughs> yeah could could be a lady Nintendo <laughs> I just yeah I just I just want them to to give him a little pat on the head and, and make sure he's okay in the world without some of these little wishes yeah I know what you mean I know what you mean but I do love it I'm, I'm not being a dick I, yeah. I still really really love it I can't wait to to finish well I just can't I just can't wait to play more of 64 play through sunshine play through galaxy for the first time it's yeah I know there's a whole whole Mario world there waiting for me to, to just absolutely love and have a great time in yeah the other thing that i have done this week is i had yet another incredible sea of thieves session yeah release the kraken so this time we embarked on one of the special story quests that are in the game called tall tales now there's like a rough running order to these quests that you can play through that sort of link link them together but each of the tall tales work really, really well in isolation. And there's also a lot of variety within them. So you can do each one several times and it'll be different each time, but with like the same overarching theme or mechanic. And we went for a tall tale called The Stars of a Thief. Mm-hmm. It sees you come into possession of a magical spyglass that when you look through it, reveals the constellations in the sky by their shapes. So if you look at, you know, a constellation called The Bear, instead of seeing the most dubious dot to dot puzzle of your life you actually see a bear yeah. and you can also see the star constellations in the daytime as well which is it's just oh, it's great and then you get a book of riddles and in there there was a there's a small passage about each of the constellations with a few little uh, reference points about their like their mythos and then there's a series of, of quests told again in the form of riddles and you need to decipher what the riddles are about if they're making subtle references to one of the constellations to give you a rough compass point to follow or an obscure reference to one of the characteristics of the constellations listed in the first section. And then you go about trying to hunt down what it's referencing. I'll give you an example. The first one we did had a sketch of Lonely Isle, which is is one of the, you know, it's one of the known islands on the main map. Then there was a, a picture of a mermaid and a passage that read, the great eagle is said never to have landed. The one who witnessed this 
must have made quite an offering. And then there's another sketch of a great eagle on top of a big rock with a shiny treasure underneath. So we started this by going to Lonely Isle, which we assumed was, you know, the starting point of this quest. And we know one of the constellations is a mermaid, and we have the sketch of that. So what we did is we started at Lonely Isle, looked at where the mermaid constellation was, and then sailed in that direction until we reached another island. And this is where it got really, really cool. So we knew the the Great Eagle is is another one of the constellations. And also one of the things there are in the game is is lots of statues of animals on on the different islands. And, you know, we've seen like statues of of, of birds and stuff like this. So we thought, oh, there's a sketch of of one of these. So we'll we'll find that and we'll dig there and we'll find the treasure. We we scouted around the island trying to find this statue and and there, there wasn't anything. Like there wasn't one there. But what there was, was a huge rock in the centre of the island. And if you find the eagle constellation in the sky, and then walk to a point around this massive rock, where the eagle lines up with the rock, and it looks like the eagle has landed on the rock, and dig there, <laughs> you find the treasure. Oh. It was it was incredibly cool. Like, amazing like lateral thinking. And to be fair, like it took us a bit of trial and error in figuring that one out. And then there were a couple more of these to do after this, sort of going around some of the other islands and following different constellations. On the way, we also encountered a kraken, which was it was the first time I fought (laughs) one. And and it was an incredible fight. Like there was a couple of us manning cannons, shooting its different tentacles whilst trying to avoid it, like sucking you and grabbing you with another of its tentacles. And then like uh, one of the tentacles came out and grabbed the boat and you had to attack it with your swords. But its blood is poisonous. So you have to avoid that while it's squeezing the ship. And then you're below deck trying to repair the holes and bail water out. It was incredibly tense. Great fun, and it, the fight went on for I'd say probably a good twenty minutes, but we managed to defeat it. I mean, but just about there was like there was a point where the entire of our boat below deck was flooded, and we you could just see us sinking. But we managed to like pull back from that. It was it was absolutely great. And then the end of the tall tale was it was a fitting climax. We followed a riddle to find this secret chamber that was hidden underneath and inside an uncharted island on the map. It was absolutely great. Like, you find this tiny island. It's not on any map. And then swimming around it. Like, there was some line uh, some some line in the riddle that sort of alluded to something being underwater. And looking around, and then we saw, like, a passage. And then sort of swam down and in and through these tunnels. And then up inside the island to this massive cave. And then there was a, a stone statue there where you could place the treasures that we'd found along the way of on, on this tall tale. And then it opens up a vault. And inside the vault, it began to fill with water. Of course. Quite slowly. Not slowly enough, though, as we had to uh, decipher the last pages of, of riddles that held very, very cryptic references to the constellations in each line of the riddle. And then we had to rotate these stone columns to to the representative image from those constellations that it was talking about. And me and Tom were, were taking it in turns to... So one of us would have the book open on the riddle page. One of us would have it open on the constellation reference page. And then as, as it was filling up with water, we would have to like dive down and like change them to try a different combination, then frantically coming up for for a breath of air before trying again it was it was so exciting and we did manage to make it with i mean not it can't have been that much more time to spare i like was very very close to drowning it was such an epic adventure 
It was brilliant. And following a conversation in the Our Three Cents Discord channel, which you can get access to if you pledge to be a Patreon. Oh, hello. I uh, have agreed with my usual crew to record our next play session. So hopefully it will be equally as eventful and I'll be able to upload it to our YouTube channel to watch. But yes, another another example of just how amazing this game is. And um, yeah, just having the best time playing it. Good. High praise. And now a word from our sponsor. And now a word from our sponsor. And now a word from our sponsor. Hey, Lassie, what are you doing here? Timmy's in a well. Sequelcast 2 and Friends is a podcast looking at movies in a franchise, one film at a time, like Harry Potter, Hellraiser, and The Hobbit. And sometimes the hosts talk about video games and TV as well. And now it's part of the Greenlit Podcast Network. Oh, Lassie, we don't need to rescue Timmy. He likes the well well enough, I guess. Darth Vader is Luke's father. Lassie, I told you to lay off the spoilers. Shall we move on to the rankings? Yeah, yes. Let's, let's go. <laughs> Starting this week, we have Minty's game. Minty, Minty both. can you please tell us about us? Can you please tell us about your 20th favourite video game of all time? Indubitably. Ferious to your top 20. Well, for the next couple of weeks, I'm going to be a naughty boy. And I'm going to flaunt the rules with my choices. And <gasps> I don't give a hoot what you think about that. Oh my goodness. Well. What's he done? We've been at this for nearly two years now. And I think it's high time I started having some fun with it. <laughs> <laughs> the leash is off now, boys. So hang on to your scrotums as I stuff a middle finger up the fundament of decorum. And talk about a game that I'm basically using as a representative. Not only for the series that it's from, but also the studio that made it. Oh, hello. Ah. Yeah. You know a game's going to be good, or at least a bit of fun, when you hear that the genesis of the idea of the game is held quite lightly, like a, a joke between friends, maybe on the on, on the work slack, a throwaway comment here or there, or a fun conversation over lunch. The initial idea for this series started out as a as a joke between the developers, building on the robust game mechanics of the NES games that they grew up playing and and, and their ilk. So fast forward a couple of years and one successful Kickstarter later, you've got not only a game that was uh, that was good and that people enjoyed, but you've also got one of the best video games of all time. A game that takes you across green plains, through graveyards and haunted mansions, across uh, the frozen tundra and even through the sky atop gargantuan flying machines bathed in the golden mm. glow of brilliant twilight. A tale as old as time, you risk it all to save a comrade, a friend, someone dear to you. You thwart ancient and evil power structures, besting a cavalcade of henchmen in the process. Each as challenging and fun to vanquish as the last, a ghastly totem of their twisted realm. We all love the brilliance of Shovel Knight. It's, it's yeah! near perfection. It controls well, it feels good to play, it's nostalgic enough to draw a smile from the outset while still maintaining an... An undeniable newness and freshness that many have simply failed to achieve. Story-wise, it's a familiar tale told well. Good writing, likeable characters, wonderful, entertaining and fun dialogue. I do prefer the sequel, though. As I said before, my representative of this series uh, is Shovel Knight Plague of Shadows. So Plague of Shadows is my 20th favourite video game because I was floored by how they basically took the layout for the entire first game 
and not only built an entirely new set of move mechanics around it to make it beatable and to play well and to be fun, but then on top of that, give you a, a completely customizable set of potions to arm yourself with. It gives you an incredible amount of flexibility with how you play the game. Oh, it, it blew my mind. Like, I remember playing the first Shovel Knight. I was like, oh yeah, yeah, I, I can get why this, why people love this game. It, it's, it's, I'm having a really nice time with it. It's good. It's, it plays well, etc., etc. Plague of Shadows comes along. I'm like, oh, okay, so this is just like, I remember this from the first game. Oh, you've got to do... Oh, that works really well. <laughs> yeah. Loved it. And then, of course, you throw in the storyline that plays out concurrently with the original Shovel Knight. You get little little glimmers of your of your behorned hero as he fucks around on his own quest. Loved that. <laughs> I remember playing it for the first time and seeing Shovel Knight in the background on his merry quest to reach the right side of each level and being like, that was me about a month ago. <laughs> Every game in this series is great. I've not beaten King of Cards yet because I'm absolutely shite at it, but it's still still fun. Not only are they great fun by virtue of being games in the Shovel Knight series, so they have that pedigree behind them, but they're incredibly good as a diverse set of standalone games as well. Shovel Knight is the egg of video games. There's so many ways that you can play it. There's so many ways to play a game set in the Shovelverse, and they're all great, but Plague of Shadows is the Eggs Benedict. The best part about the Shovel Knight series is the fact that <laughs> he's gone. He's gone. He's been egged. That really got me. I was expecting you to say this is the egg, and there are many other games that are the chicken or something. I just didn't expect you to say <laughs> that. Really got me. Oh, I needed that. Anywho, the best part about the Shovel Knight games is the fact that Yacht Club are so incredibly generous with every release. I double dipped on the original game and then Treasure Trove. So I've paid about 30 quid in total to play Shovel Knight and Plague of Shadows on the Wii U and the Switch, as well as Spectre of Torment and King of Cards. In a market that's full of subscription services, pay real money for fake clothes and DLC packs <laughs> that add about an hour of okay gameplay for 25 bastard pounds it's a really <laughs> wonderful remunerative model four games in one three of them were basically free like whatever your opinions on the correlation between cost and value in games and related media are seeing yacht club pop up in indie directs with another take on that fantastic core game and then finding out that not only is it free but also out now <laughs> yeah that's oh what a lovely feeling so my entry for this week isn't just shovel knight plague of shadows not just the Shovel Knight series, but Yacht Club in general. Oh, lovely. Lovely. I, I have no problem with any of that. No, it's really nice. That's, uh, it's fantastic. really nice. That's excellent. Yeah. Like you said, they're just an incredibly generous publisher. Mm. I, I had I had no problem in doing exactly the same. I bought Shovel Knight first on 3DS, and I I actually think that it's, it's best played. It's one of those games that just works so well with that added depth of field. Mm. I don't know whether or not it was a colorblindness thing. I think it might have been a little bit, but when I've played it purely, you know, 2D, I've struggled with identifying what's a platform and what's the background. Mm. And that's why playing it, it's stereoscopic 3D made a real, real difference for me. And uh, yeah, so I'll, I'll, that's one of, the, one of the reasons why I'll keep my 3DS around is to, to play that and Super Mario 3D Land. 
and uh, and other games that I think are best best played in in uh, in stereoscope stereoscope. Why not? I think they deserve credit as well, considering that all of those expansions or sequels or whatever you want to call them, they put on every platform the game launched on. So you still have access to all this content if you bought the original game for the Vita or, or, or the Wii U. You know, th- these are consoles that died in the middle of the development <laughs> of this game that they still supported. Yeah. And, and again, that, that's a real kind of like, it's a, it's a generosity of a, a developer, a real, real spirit of generosity to think that us as the players are the most important bit and, and they wanted to serve us as well as they possibly could. Hmm. You don't pull the ladder up until you know that the person at the bottom is hanging on. <laughs> That's the Vita to a T, isn't it? <laughs> That's it. <laughs> Absolutely wonderful. Thank you for that, Mindy. Next, we have my game. Hello, Jonathan. Hello, Chris. Hello. So, much like you, Chris, in that you finally made the leap to obtaining a PC that is capable of running games at a decent level, I too yeah. spent a, a long, long time with computers that were were just behind the cusp of being able to handle <laughs> the games I really wanted to play. Yeah. And, and that was fine. I, I didn't mind too much. I was happy with my consoles and my handhelds to tide me over. And before Alienware and other companies now were releasing specific gaming PCs, the only option I really saw for getting a good gaming PC was, was to build one yourself. And this is something I had absolutely no knowledge of and also the idea of attempting something like that myself filled my ocd brain with what can only be described as tremendous anxiety (laughs) yeah when i ended up landing a job in an it department several years ago i was suddenly surrounded by people who not only didn't recoil in horror at the idea of putting something together in a technical capacity with their bare hands but they actively pursued it and i thought (laughs) given that i didn't have a then current generation console now would be a good time to use some supporting brains to help me put together a a decent machine that could could run the latest games and so it was my friends mike sam paul and to a lesser extent david advised me in sourcing the right parts and helped me put the whole darn thing together and i was currently in possession of the most powerful machine to play games on that i'd ever owned by by quite some margin given that my last console was the gamecube and everybody (laughs) else was starting to get ps4s i think and there were a couple of games that I'd eyed up to not only get and play that I'd wanted to, but but also games that were going to let me test the limits of my new PC. The first game I wanted to try was the latest Thief game, simply called Thief, technically Thief 4. And even though it didn't have the same magic or indeed the same voice actor for your protagonist, I, I still I still really enjoyed it. Like It looked absolutely stunning on my machine and it gave me a pretty decent thieving experience that I'd, you know, I'd come to adore over the years through the first three games. But the game I played next on this PC was the one that really made me fall in love with PC gaming again. And it was Bioshock Infinite. Oh, it's been a long time waiting for this one, hasn't it? Yeah. (laughs) Now, I touched on this back when Bioshock Infinite appeared as Minty's 96th favourite video game. That there is a phenomenal depth of story and lore involved in the game that that Minty, I, I believe you confessed passed you by oh yeah yeah absolutely <laughs> but i talked up and dove straight into its sumptuous lagoon of law and was so happy to fully immerse myself in its story its location its lore its characters everything about this game it was it was the perfect combination of elements that i i look for in in a story it had a compelling and mysterious protagonist a main supporting character that kept on surprising you with her character development the world was a dark dystopia hidden by a beautifully colourful and bright utopian paint job. There were deep themes of political struggles, societal oppression, served with spoonfuls laden with dollops of gooey satire. 
And to top it all off, it also then plays with theories of the space-time continuum, alternate dimensions, parallel realities, the nature of infinity. I was in heaven. Like, this was <laughs> everything I wanted. Now, there's so much about the story of the game that utterly blew me away. Like, it's monumentally layered and complex with these incredibly compelling subtle themes running throughout and the social commentary underlying all of it. And the twists and turns that the story goes on as you discover more and more about the tears in reality that happen and, and what that means for the fate of your main character, for, for Elizabeth, and, and even for Minty's favourite lettuce twins. Like, <laughs> it continually <laughs> blew my mind. And the ending is beyond perfect. I've never seen the nature of infinity expressed so well as in this game. And, and it's a, such a high concept and I was, I was so thrilled that it, it delivered on, on, on where it was leading to. I'm not going to say much more about it other than what I've done, because it's a story that best deserves to be played and experienced firsthand. And, and I don't want to spoil that for anyone who hasn't played it. But the storyline and the creation of this world, I would say, is on par with any of the best books I've ever read. It's just amazing. And there were many, many other things about the game that were equal to the story as well. I'll start by talking about the design. Like I hinted that the world is, is presented as this incredible utopian society and it's absolutely gorgeous with bright, sunny, Victoriana, steampunk stylings everywhere you look from like the, the blimps and, and, and the tailor shops to the beaches and pinstripe bathing suits. The whole city of Columbia was it's just the very embodiment of the, the concept of American exceptionalism. Oh, <laughs> I know. That's the word, yeah. yeah. Something uh, I only learnt about today. <laughs> <laughs> it's like the, the ultimate fulfilment of the American dream that, that you know, you've, you've seen that, that is obviously totally unobtainable. You think that it's been obtained here. It's absolutely not, because this utopian facade is, is hiding incredibly dark dystopian realities just beneath it. I think we've said this before, that like the whole steampunk Victoriana thing has been a bit overdone now, with seemingly every other indie game coming out utilising its style for, you know, quite a good few years. But when I when I first played it, you know, this was back in 2000, well, the game came out in 2011, I probably didn't play it until 2012, maybe even 2013. You know, I, I wasn't a stranger to, to this style, but the market wasn't saturated with it yet. And the design in this game, I, I think, is, is the best example of that steampunk style. And in fact, I've, I've used the game as a specific design reference for, for quite a few pieces of graphic design I've done in the past, including <laughs> all of the marketing and also several pieces of set decoration for the production of Comedy of Errors that I did with you, Minty. Oh, yes, I remember. Ooh. I remember that poster, yeah. A Bioshock of Errors. And I'm pretty sure, like, you know, I was playing Bioshock Infinite when we were doing that doing that show. And, and yes, you're absolutely right. And your noble visage, Minty, features on the poster design for that in silhouette form. Mm. And ridiculously, that poster made an appearance at a Shakespearean poster art display in New York. And then saw subsequent publication in a lovely big coffee table book. And uh, I've got Bioshock Infinite to thank for that. Pure rip-off. Um, <laughs> one of the other brilliant elements is the is the audio work in the game. I'll, I'll talk about the soundtrack in a minute, but but just the general audio production is absolutely incredible. The first time you arrive in Colombia and, you, and you're walking across all the blimps and floating islands that, that you know, that make it up, and you're trying to take in all, all of the, the hustle and bustle of the surrounding society, and you can hear every single thing that's going on so clearly. It's a phenomenal feat of, of audio mixing and programming. 
it reminded me of the beach landing scene in Apocalypse Now, where there's like napalm and bombs going off, helicopters landing, people shouting, dust going everywhere. Like the, the most overwhelming cacophony, but yet you can hear everything so perfectly balanced. As, as an aside, the Oscar for Best Sound Mixing for that film, I think is one of the most deserved Oscar wins of all time. It's up there with <laughs> Emma Thompson's Oscar for Best Adapted Screenplay for Sense and Sensibility. It's amazing. And yes, the soundtrack to the game is also incredible. One of the things it does brilliantly with the music is lean into the tears in space-time that are featured in the game that give people a glimpse into different times and spaces, including periods of time in the future, where songs that haven't been written in 1912, I think it is, when the game is set, you know, those songs haven't been written. And so you'll, you'll hear these postmodern arrangements on, you know, Victorian instruments of anachronistic songs like Girls Just Want to Have Fun, or Tainted Love, or Papa Loves Bumbo. And like, <laughs> when you first hear them, it, it takes your ears a little while to recognise what it is, because it's so out of place. And then later on in the game, when you, you start to get a deeper understanding of these rifts, and the two things start to sort of make sense, it's just... It's very clever. It's very good. <laughs> <laughs> and, I mean, you know, these things would be nothing, as always, if the gameplay wasn't good. And... Something similar to what you said last week about Super Mario 3D World, Chris, and, and how it was like everything in that game is designed to make you have fun. Yeah. I feel like it's the same here, but within the confines of a first-person shooter game. Bioshock 1 and 2, even from what little I've played of them, were, were great fun. I mean, the, the, the FPS setup is, is a setup that's been continually refined and refined all the way since Wolfenstein 3D and Doom. And the Bioshock formula saw the immediacy of control that you'd had in games like, like Half-Life in its weapon fights and then introduced a whole other brilliant twist on the system with its chemically enhanced powers. It's not too dissimilar from like magic wielding in the Elder Scrolls games but the variety of abilities and also their tangibility in being these genetic modifications through chemical research felt more realistic and I think it was probably a combination of the I guess the animation and the sound effects that it, it really made you feel powerful but in a like an unstable way that increased the tension of your fights when, when you were harnessing these powers and there was a new twist on them in, in Bioshock Infinite as in, in this game they they'd sort of become more socially acceptable and there were these like over-the-counter products called Vigors and they controlled so fluidly and were so fun to find new ones and upgrade them and play around with how they worked in combination with with like other ones and other movement mechanics and something worth mentioning, because this game was was a very different tone to Bioshock 1 and 2, which were outright action horror games, really. And I, I think I said before, like, I, I, Bioshock 1 and 2 were just a bit too scary for me to play when I'd, like, attempted to do it before. And and it's all, it's the reason why I wanted to play Bioshock Infinite so much, because, like, I loved the design of the series, but I was told that this game was was not a horror game, so I felt a bit more comfortable about diving into it. But the way it compensates is in the level of violence in the game, which is, is quite shocking because it jars so much with the utopian aesthetic that surrounded you. And the sheer brutality of the first action sequence in the game is, is really quite something. It's quite violent, isn't it? It really is. It really is. I mean, <laughs> yeah. the red really stands out on like the bright yellows and blues of, of Colombia. Yeah, I Oof. mean, you've, you've got a gun, you're shooting people. Need I go on? <laughs> need you not minty and for most of the game as well you're you're accompanied by the, this main supporting character elizabeth who's who's the heroine of the story 
and it's it's great because like initially she's presented as a fairly archetypal damsel in distress but she's much much more than that and as the story goes on like her character is just so much more compelling the mechanics of how it works when you team up with her work really really well like it features the best sentence to appear alongside probably my most hated game mechanic because as soon as she tags along with you i was thinking oh never mind i was enjoying this game but if she's <laughs> going to be anything like ashley in resident evil 4 i'm going to want to shoot her in the head in about five minutes time i was livid but as soon as elizabeth starts to tag along with you a sentence pops up that simply says you don't need to look after elizabeth she'll look after herself I was anything but livid. Wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> in addition to that, she'll occasionally like stop and throw you things she finds, like like you know some b- b- money or some meds and and things like that. It's just brilliant. Like it's another aspect of the game that is there because it adds to the experience rather than just being there for the sake of adding in an extra obstacle for the player. And the game has another trick up its sleeve, which is an incredibly fun movement mechanic. So one of the ways that you get around this floating city is. It's this sort of monorail system that has, you know, carriages riding along it. And, and this rail system, you know, links all of the fragments of the city and makes it all connected. And, and, you know, in the game, you start by being able to get into these carriages and travel around to the different areas of the city. But then you come into possession of the Skyhook, which allows you to just grab hold of the rails themselves and travel along them at incredibly high speeds about the landscape. And these aren't just little transition cutscenes. These are movement mechanics that you can combine with like your movement vigor powers, like teleporting short distances with your attacking mechanics. And you start to be able to pull off like the most insane combinations of abilities to take out the increasing power and numbers of the opposing forces in the game. You'll be covering huge distances with incredible speed and incredible precision. Like you don't often see movement mechanics this well implemented outside of a third person game, like the 3D Mario games. And it really makes for an experience like like no other first-person game I, I've played. I guess the downside of the quality of the Bioshock trilogy means that a fourth game hasn't been needed because the first two have been remastered and Infinite has been ported around all the consoles for a few generations. And I would absolutely love it if 2K were to revisit the series now that there's a new generation of consoles coming. Obviously, I won't buy it on the PS5, but I'll you know certainly take my mouse and keyboard to whatever they choose to offer up next. <laughs> I never got around to playing the DLC that came out for Infinite, which is what linked it to the, you know, seemingly disparate first two Bioshock games, because they do seem like very, very different and and, and almost entirely unconnected. But then I also haven't played through one and two properly either. It, it was my full intention to play through the entire trilogy when I bought it on the Switch. But as I said at the time, I just couldn't get the level of enjoyment I wanted from the games whilst playing it on a control pad. And I, I have installed the remastered versions of 1 and 2 on my computer. And I really hope I get a chance to play through those both. And then I, I will gleefully revisit Bioshock Infinite and then feel fully equipped to dive into that DLC. And I, I really look forward to that. I, I'm fortunate that, you know, these days for, for my video production work that I do for my job, I, I need to have a computer with similar specs to what would be required for a gaming PC. So I, I, I've managed to keep on top of the PC gaming scene and thinking about this game has really whetted my appetite to play through the whole trilogy. I did really want to be able to play through Infinite again before talking about it. But yeah, just writing this and thinking about this today, it's just made me even hungrier just to get back to this absolute masterpiece. I I absolutely love it. Bioshock Infinite. Deal with it. <laughs> oh, It always feels sad when there's a game that two of us really love 
and the other one has never played that it can't be approved. Yeah. Why haven't you played it? <laughs> I couldn't tell you. I mean, I think it was like you say, I, I played the first hour or two of, of the original Bioshock on the 360, got a bit yeah. too spooked uh, and then never bought two or, or Infinite. Obviously, like you say, it's, it's a very different game tonally, but yeah. I always felt in my mind I needed the experience of the first two to kind of, I don't know, make sense of it or enjoy it fully. And, and I just never, never thought I'd pick it up and, in isolation. I didn't. And I think it's the 20th best video game ever made. <laughs> so, uh... <laughs> well, there you go. Get it on your new PC yeah. and wrap your eyes and fingers around Bioshock Infinite please if you get a chance to revisit it at some time minty i mean i just think anyone if you've played it or haven't played it go and play it yeah i'd like to play them all through again i've beaten two and three i only ever stopped playing the first bioshock after about an hour not because it was scary but because the disc i rented from blockbuster was scratched oh what bastards that's how they get you that's how they get you bastards oh god i'm glad they went under yeah deserved it Fuckers. Mm. Yeah. I shit in the quick drop box as well. When I <laughs> Good. As well. Good. I'll show them. <laughs> so, bring us on home. Chris Dow, what's your 20th favourite video game of all time? Uh, 2020. It's been a great year, hasn't it? <laughs> Loved it. One of my favourites. What a fucking stinker. <laughs> Just <laughs> awful. Uh, and and I'm, I'm sure that, that individually, that... You know, there are people who could say a good thing has happened to me personally this year. Like in amongst everything else, I'm sure there's people that have got new jobs or there's people that are recently married or people that are going to have a baby. baby. Like the, the, <laughs> there we go. There's going to be good stuff for people. But for all the issues we, we've we had to deal with as as a people, like as a, as a collective people due to 2020's kind of myriad, just oh, sometimes debilitating timeline, like mm. it's been... I think this is the unhappiest the world has ever been in our lifetimes. Yeah. And it's been months now of, of just like brutal grinding news cycles. And, you know, there's national uplift that we have to change everything about what, what we're used to doing. There's, you know, huge personal sacrifice people are making to try and just push through everything. And depressingly, like, I, I don't know where the goalpost is. Like, it's very hard mm. to look at the landscape of the world right now and see like the Mario flagpole that, that signifies the end <laughs> of all this. I mean... I went out yesterday uh, with Georgia uh, on the weekend and we rented bikes at a country park and then we went and had lunch yeah. and, and it felt normal to a point. Like that was the f- one of the first times in ages where I went and did something like an actual activity and it felt like semi-normal. But then as with anything, it's only normal if you ignore that the rental company have had, to, you know, had to spray the bikes down before we could take them <laughs> or, or the floor outside the ice cream kiosk had please stand here dots that we had to adhere to and insisted we, we paid by card. Mm. There's lots of things that, you know, we're not there yet. And, and as much as we're, we're pretending we can be normal, we're, we're not there yet. And, and this kind of whole story is, is relevant to today's game because if, if 2020 marks the lowest, I think the world has, has felt collectively, certainly in my memory, it was the month that followed this game's release that I honestly believe was our high watermark for global happiness oh, wow. because it was 2016's Pokemon Go. Pokemon oh, Go! Wow. And, and writing this this morning, I, I felt a bit tearful recalling this whole, whole thing because, you know, it, it was a game that seemed to come out of nowhere. Like, I, I wasn't tracking this game as it, as it kind of was about to turn up. It was probably one of the first mobile games, along with with Super Mario Run and um, Miitomo, that was harnessing kind of Nintendo IP in some way. For anyone that doesn't know what it is, I think that will be no one in the entire world at this stage. It's 
you know, an augmented reality, real world location based game where you walk around holding your phone, catch little Pokemon that pop up on the map and then check into little Pokestops for, for basic rewards or, or fight at little gyms that, you know, you can try and then gain dominance for your, for your chosen team affiliation that is made out of essentially just landmarks in your local area. The mechanics are so simple in this game that it almost feels embarrassing to place it this high on the list. <laughs> but the, the, usually I go into like massive depth about why what on the surface is a very simple game, like something like Super Hexagon actually has all this hidden hidden depth to it. But for this, like it, it's just really straightforward. And and in spite of the server issues that that plagued like its early release and, and the relative lack of, of like a game to kind of beat or, or get good at outside of essentially just flicking something on your screen and, and spinning a little landmark. It was a game that was world-changing, like absolutely world-changing. If Go was, was merely a game that encouraged people to go for a walk, I, I would have said that alone would make it a net positive in the world. But Go, as, as a title for me at least, made me go for a walk, and then later that evening go for another walk, and then just before I went to bed sometimes go for a third walk that day. And, and crucially, I, I was talking to people who were equally as excited as me to just stand in the light of their devices at god knows what time in the evening to try and catch like a sea king that someone had seen pop up nearby mm. i think this is of all the games i'm going to mention on, on on my list from you know 100 down to one this is the game i would describe as a global phenomenon like it, it touched almost every corner of the earth for that month when it was like really the hot thing and what was remarkable that was that it there were people like us, those in kind of their late 20s and early 30s, who it still felt like, well, this is my game. I, I, can, I can get something out of this. And even though I'd basically tapped out of everything from Generation 2 onwards in Pokemon, there were young kids who, who may have known Pokemon only from either like brand new games on, on the DS and the 3DS at the time or, or the anime, because that's run for so many years, that were out holding their parents' phones and getting excited when they saw one of the, you know, the, the, the poster children for the series like Pikachu or Charmander. But there were also those who were older as well, like maybe acting as chaperones to, to young teens or or maybe just swept up in kind of the zeitgeist that was that was much bigger than, you know, it wasn't just a spin-off of a popular game. It was now like an event that people wanted to be part of. And maybe a week after the game's initial launch, uh, I went out for a walk. I had my phone in my hand. I, I'd bought a portable charger that was sat in my back pocket that I hadn't owned before this game. And at the time I was, I was living up in the Medway towns and... I left the house about 6pm and I walked around until almost three in the morning. And and if I had been counting, I, I probably clocked 25,000 steps at least that night. <laughs> and and I spoke to like hundreds of people in huddles all over high streets, around back streets, collected around sort of the designated gyms that had transformed things like, you know, a town statue or the synagogue or other like stadia in town into these like social hubs. And And the streets were jam packed literally until I went home to bed. There were people out just as I was up until that point until we couldn't walk anymore. Mini marts and corner shops were advertising that they sold portable battery packs with like little little hand-drawn sort of Pokeballs on the, on the signage. There was like other, other pubs and things that were quickly pumping out hand-drawn or, or printed signs to say like, oh, there's a, there's a Pokestop around the back if you want to come and sit in our beer garden. It was just everyone was trying to capitalise on that sort of mania. And, and that night, I don't think I'll ever forget because it was it was a simple application that had somehow snowballed to have the power to draw what felt like what half the population <laughs> out of their homes on a balmy evening 
And and it made events like a man running into the bar that I was sat in having a Coke shouting, there's a La Prasse outside, seem totally normal. <laughs> like just, just unbelievable sort of like cognitive dissonance for, yeah. for where I thought my life would be in my late 20s. About a week on from that, I travelled up to Olympic Park in London and I met up with some friends and I met up with some of their friends, like in a big group. And, and again, experienced the same sort of mania, like I said, where groups comprising up here because it was in London like hundreds of players in huddles were, were swarming about the park like starlings in murmuration just like tracking where people would drop lures across the green space in the hope of catching enough bulbasaurs to push it up the evolutionary ladder mm. it was just a real sight to behold in my group on, on that day were people who had never played a video game like had never played Pokemon had never owned a console probably like had to go on Mario at a friend's house when they were kids and that was it and yet they were there just as excited as me, like spinning the Pokeballs to get a few extra nuggets of experience as they were, were picking up Spearows and Coffings and, and whatever else. After probably like an intense month or, or six weeks, I, I largely just stopped playing Pokemon Go. Like I, I dipped in and out later when they started to add the next generation of, of Pokemon into the spawn pool. Uh, I played a little bit when they started adding community events and daily tasks and challenges. But for as much as the, the game part of Pokemon Go was improving, because no doubt if you pick it up now, it is more fun to play as a game than it was at its launch. The initial thrill that came with having this just immediate impromptu community was was very different. And and a lot of the kind of the more casual fans seemed to have dropped off, at least in the areas that I, I was playing in. And and seeing several people staring at their phone around a local landmark didn't didn't carry the same guarantee of kinship that it had in those early weeks. But it doesn't matter. It really doesn't matter because the release of Pokemon Go, I think Niantic made something that felt almost like altruistic in its generosity and, and gave the entire world a, a dopamine spike that I don't know when we'll see again. <laughs> yeah. Like it was it was less of a game and more of just a moment, like a massively multiplayer thing that brought people together. And like, I'm not joking when I say it was It was basically every person that owned a smartphone had this installed at some point and at least went for one little walk to check out what all the fuss was about. I think it's it's very easy to be down on technology and something like Charlie Brooker's Black Mirror, like I, I really enjoy that show, but it is an intensely negative extrapolation of where technology could take us. Huge swathes of his narratives in, in that show seem like upsettingly tangible yeah. even now. Yeah. But... For, for all that kind of negativity, I think Pokemon Go showed that sometimes technology could exist and just be about positivity. Yeah. Just, you know, it was exuding nothing but, but joy. I've still got Pokemon Go installed on my phone. I haven't launched the app probably in two years at this point. Couldn't tell you, you know, when the exact time I last booted it up was or where I walked or what I caught. But the icon itself, just having it nestled there on my home screen is sometimes enough to remind me just that video games have such a collective power to them. Yeah. And I think for that period, that four to six weeks when I was really actively playing Pokemon Go, as everyone seemed to be, it was a truly astonishing achievement. Just <laughs> something that I don't know if we'll ever see again <laughs> in that capacity. It, it was unbelievable. And yeah, despite it being not a particularly gamey game, that period and that experience is is my number 20 with, with Pokemon Go. Absolutely wonderful. Yeah, I mean, I've got some incredibly precious memories from the pokey walks that me and you went on minty like yeah yeah from that evening when we were walking uh, around the green by the museum and there were just probably a hundred people there about half 11 12 o'clock at night all just sort of <laughs> spinning the pokey stops and, and trying to find things and, and like you were saying chris like people being like oh my god there's a so-and-so over there 
And I remember like being working on a job, filming some some stuff in an art center in Cardiff, and and somebody I was working with just went, "Oh my god, there's a kingler out here!" And I was like, <laughs> <laughs> "Like you said, I mean, I've said it before, and I'll say it again. It's the closest the world has come to genuine world peace." Yeah, yeah, for sure. I remember it came out when I was on holiday in Menorca, I think it was, and I immediately downloaded it and also bought like 10 quids worth of roaming data and just had a little wander around. Mm. So that was nice. I, I had a I had a goal bat in like the market there for about four months. <laughs> it just, you know, didn't never came back to me. But I remember it came out a very good time in my life mm. because it, it, it came out right about the time that Mrs. Minty first went back to the States for what we assumed was forever. So I was... I, I was I was I was I was a sad man at that point. Mm. This is before you were together, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So not only had I lost, you know, one of my my, my very best friends, unbeknownst to me, who would become my wife, but it 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 it, it did a lot to sort of get me out of that funk, and uh, I, I appreciate it very much. I think it's it's a good game, isn't it? Mm. It's really nice. Yeah. So there we have it. Another three games, and again, a very eclectic trio. First of all, we had... Yacht Club, or to be more specific, (laughs) Shovel Knight Plague of Shadows. And then we had Bioshock Infinite, before finally... Pokemon Go. What bangers they are. Ooh-wee. Top 20. If you enjoyed this episode, please do share the podcast on social media. We really appreciate it when people do that. It's a, it's a big help in getting some new listeners in. You can reach out to us on our various social media channels. Find us on YouTube, search for our three cents. Follow us on Twitch at O3C Podcast, also at O3C Podcast on Instagram. And we're on Facebook as well, facebook.com slash our three cents. You can also reach out to us individually. I'm on Twitter at Jonathan Dunn. I'm at Chaz underscore Hodges. I'm Clement underscore Boo. If you really enjoy what we're doing and fancy getting a bit more for your buck, then please do check out our Patreon page, patreon.com slash our3cents, and look at some of the amazing perks you can get in exchange for some just mere pennies, mere, mere, mere pennies of pledgery. We very much appreciate <laughs> it. And please do join us next week for our 19th favourite video 19. games of all time. Where does that come from? I mean, obviously. Yeah. Fucking hell. We've been doing this week in, week out. It's quite clear where it's come from. But still. <laughs> 19. Ah, the merciless passage of time. And now, a word from our sponsor. And now, a word from our sponsor. And now, a word from our sponsor. Come on, guys. We're going to be late for class. Oh, darn. Not on our first day. Don't worry, I pressurized all of our bike tires to optimal PSI for speed. Wow. So we should be able to average 9.6 miles per hour, which should get us to class on time. We We love love Podford Podford University University for teaching us us these skills. skills. Podford University. iTunes, Spotify, and everywhere you get podcasts.